This is the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today, I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the art of art management. And this is another episode in the series of art of art management. And we've got some great guests today with us. Obviously, each guest has provided some questions that we're going to talk through but before we get into that we're going to kick off with a round of introductions so first of all Anthony please can you introduce yourself oh yeah good to hear you and see everyone here Andy I'm Anthony O'Donnell I'm art director at D3T Limited Coconut Lizard uh, both are part of the Keyword Studios group so we're focused on co-development I've been in the industry since 2007 so it's about 16 years coming up this year um, I've worked on a variety of games in many roles, mainly art, including Drive Club, the Motorstorm series, some Lego games, and more recently, Alan Wake Remastered, and also some unreleased VR titles. Um, originally studied classic animation, was an aspiring comic artist in my teens and early 20s before eventually finding my path into games. Um, and for me, the attraction with games is the both technical and creative aspects of it, which I quite enjoy and how the elements interact to produce the experiences we all play. And that's me. I'll pass it over to Anita. Amazing. Thank you very much. Hi, uh, I'm Anita Huxtall. I'm an art director and producer. Yay, both of that. Uh, for Sunscore Studios, small indie studio in the UK. Uh, we make horror titles and we do outsourcing for other indie studios, sometimes for bigger productions as well. Uh, most of my experience has been in outsourcing so far, or as a freelancer on my own before that. Um, yeah. There isn't actually too much I can talk about that's not R-rated. <laughs> that is it. Um, but yeah, if we're going back to Anthony, uh, my passion mostly comes from making things look very, very detailed. <laughs> and I initially uh, was specking out to be a texture artist. So yeah, that's perfect. Thank you, Lewis. Yeah, thank you very much, Lisa. Yeah, let's yeah, on Yeah, so I'm Luis, Luis Jimenez. I'm a Colombian national, been in the UK for about short of 20 years, and I work for this company called Natural Motion, and that belongs to a not bigger company that's called Zynga, that then be, belongs to a much bigger company called A2, recently, recently acquired, and yeah, just kind of like dealing with all the experience of uh, being owned by a much bigger company, but so far, so good. Uh, I'm a graphics designer by trade, but then when I came to the UK, did my master's in games and what now, and they began journey as a, a character artist and then you know, life happens and then I found that environments and then fell in love with the fact that they far more difficult to make and actually get to own them and um, so um I developed a lot of skills throughout but one of my main passions right now is nurturing people making sure they are and um, they have all the skills looked after and you know uh, my I would say that my I specialize on making sure that the team uh, has the right skills for the right moment, that everything is planned, that no one does, and uh, over time, everything has to be just uh, looked after. So I really like that aspect of uh, my job at the moment, as well as obviously just um, dealing with the vision and uh, making sure that the art pillars for the project are always looked after. And um, yeah, that's been That's brilliant. That's me thank you all. very much. All right, yeah, thank you all for your introductions. Well, uh, let's get into it. So, Anthony, over to you for the first question then. Yep, thank you. Um, so my question came about due to the recent shift over, say recent, for us it's been probably a couple of years for most, but the games coming out have been within the last year for the ninth generation. So as that's happened, the team sizes have grown, the complexities of these titles have grown, and with myself being in co-development, 
there's been a shift to most studios now utilizing that kind of setup where you have multiple art directors running the studios or the project. So with that said, are you, Annie, you had experience with working on projects with that setup of multiple art directors? And if so, what are your thoughts? Great question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, so just a bit of my take on it. Well, um, yep. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I think about this quite a bit and as Luis mentioned earlier, it's like thinking about the team and the well-being and how it all functions and how we can all collaborate together to kind of produce something which is quite complex and it often the case is big if you're going into the AAA side of it in terms of the amount of content. So for me, the larger projects is the workload and keeping on top of it and the various different streams of work is becoming a bit untenable for like a singular art director who needs to be the vision holder. You need to be kind of signing everything off. You need to be watching the various disciplines like characters, we say vehicles, weapons, environments, lighting, concept art, and also the interdepartmental communication as well. So with like design, programming, QA, production, and everyone else who's involved. So I just find like no single human being anymore can kind of tackle all these things. Even on a smaller scale project, it can be quite a lot to do. Um, so for me, it's just the amount of meetings it produces, the quality of work and kind of looking over that work is where it kind of came about to seeing a lot of studios now when you look at the credits of games do have departmental art directors now which is kind of echoing what the kind of movie industry does so yeah I think it's an interesting change from what we're normally used to and the industry heading that way means there needs to be more people in these roles more people kind of stepping up to become art directors which are finding as we kind of noted on the call earlier around the conversation that with Anita, Luis, and myself, we all kind of end up coming from a 3D background, which is kind of unusual at the moment for art directors. That mainly used to be a case about five, ten years ago when they'd all come from the concept art background because it was very much about final image, very much about the quality of that and how it looks in terms of composition and colour and the suitability to the genre and the game being produced. But now it's getting so difficult to execute on that vision to have every department kind of working in unison to get their element, whether it's environments, characters, whatever it may be, to kind of stick to the style, stick to the technical guidelines, make sure it runs at like 60 or 120 FPS. And that's kind of the challenge these days is to manage all these different streams at once. So in my personal experience, being co-dev over the last couple of years, I've kind of learned a lot about collaboration with other art directors, because as a co-dev art director, the difference being with the main product or game art direction team would be we are either helping and supporting to produce something. So in terms of collaboration, we're very collaborative and you need to be because you can input on the vision of what you're doing, but you don't have input on the kind of bigger overarching direction of the game. So it's been quite an experience working in that discipline where previously I have actually art directed on projects or associate art director roles. So it's more in control of the vision side of it. So relinquishing some of that and then trying to achieve someone else's someone else's vision has definitely changed my viewpoint on where this kind of role is and what this role means going forward into ninth generation and beyond. So I can leave the floor open if anybody else wants to input. Yeah, um, so my only experience working with multiple departments, uh, art directors was obviously in outsourcing because we're only eight people full time. If there was two art directors, it would be a bit weird. Um, so. Most of the time it was a really, really positive experience because the feedback loops tend to be a lot tighter because they have more time to actually spend on their area of expertise and there tends to be more know-how as well. As in the feedback you get tends to be deeper than if you had an overall art director because obviously it has to be more generalized in their knowledge. That was actually really positive for us. But if I'm thinking about it in an internal perspective, it really, really depends on how your hierarchies are structured. 
and how much autonomy your department ADs have because it can be very helpful for a team or be very detrimental depending on how much overhead you add by introducing those extra positions. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it really does depend on the team size. I'm an environment art director and um, obviously like the other ones, we all have autonomy and, you know, we really do care about each department. And it's also just giving us that sense of progression as well. because the company empowers people, then um, you develop that sort of sentiment towards the company. So the product even give it far deeper. And it's a very interesting question because it really does depend on the size of the team and what the team culture of that specific company is. And you could end up, hypothetically speaking, you could end up you know, being the puppet of project art, art director. But on the other hand, you're being empowered, you're allowing that project art director to really care about are these teams meeting the arbiters? Are these teams being looked after? Am I thinking about what is going to happen in the next year or two years? What is the vision of whatever project I'm working on? So that's the, that's the sort of empowerment that the project a- AD will have. Whereas, you know, us in this department, we really would just like take his vision and then make it ours. And again, you know, if we are being accountable for that vision and we obey to those R pillars that the project has, then it works, it works a treat. Uh, no one knows best uh, our departments than us. Um, so very often than not in the past, you will see our directors commenting on environment art and they will just come up with these, these our ideas of how things should look or even things like. I remember another director coming and explaining what normal maps were. And I was like, without being disrespectful, because I didn't want to say that, like, yes, that's the basic. <laughs> um, but it's that s- sort of thinking where, you know, for that old school idea that it's just one person that is capable of being uh, just everywhere and know exactly everything. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't agree with that sort of vision. And I think what we've seen in the recent years, um, is an evolution. Just like anything, and things have to evolve. Just like AI, for example, now is a big part of us. It's here, so we just need to just know, understand how it works with that. Just in order to be far more um, efficient, and I think that's what they after. Uh, what is the efficient way to deal with teams at the bigger scale? When it comes to I actually have a question for you because you two work on bigger teams than I usually do, and that is, um, you just said that um, communicating vision from the main art director to the sub art directors, basically. That's already quite hard to get exactly correct from creative director to art director, right? So how would you guys ensure that that actually works down the chain that doesn't get diluted? Because that seems like a really hard thing to master and needs to, like the kind of perpetuous need for even stricter style guides and even needs, everything needs to be more reglamented. Um, I mean, sorry, I'm just going to jump on this because I'm, I'm feel quite passionate about it. And I think it's all about communication with uh, honesty and transparency. If from day one, things are set in a project in where this game is going to be stylized and we all chip in on it and we believe that that is the style of the game, then, you know, nobody at the end of it said, oh no, I actually want it, a realistic one. <laughs> but that, and that is just purely because the vision has always been there. Now, this is really easy to say, but how do you pass all the information constantly? And I think from um, from my point of view, it's about um, making sure that our input in regards to environments, for example, is always there. It's always everyone is aware of what we're doing. There's all there's no question of like when are the environments going to land or you know when is this feature feature going to uh, 
be able to know I'm always putting stuff out there for people to know. So that's the part of the transparency. Now with honesty, it's about just like when you get a random vision, it's always like it's not just honesty from from my side or from our side, but also from the AD side or stakeholders in where we are we are welcome to give our opinion. And as long as that there is that transaction, then uh, I think that's where it's making us sure that we always on the same page. And um, I so far uh, I haven't found really a big surprise in my years of experience with this company. And as another director now, I haven't. It's, it's just it's just that is how the team behaves. It's all about culture. And if there is if there is an internal good culture, then things work. If not, then that's where a team has to start. Man working on that something. Sort of I don't know how you feel about it, Anton. Yeah, for me, you hit a lot of good points there because I think the honesty and the communication with the team is paramount for this. And then that transaction you mentioned with the collaboration with either the project AD or stakeholders or wherever it might be, because in co-development, that's what we come up against a lot, is we onboard on a project. We try to put the project art directors or leadership team straight into meetings with the everyone on the team. So they present their idea in answer to Anita's question directly to the team. So we're not actually putting those gates or levels in there. So we give the access to the right, all the team to these creative leads. They will present their vision of the project, what is important to them in terms of the kind of different visual motifs or ideas you have to hit or shape language or whatever it might be. And the team all get to hear that at the one-to-one level. So then when their creative leads go back to whatever work they're doing, I think my job then becomes a almost intermediary between the creative direction team and my team internally, where I then will assess the work and make sure that we're actually hitting all the notes required, whether it be technical or creative, to make sure we're actually hitting that vision. But as often happens with games, when you work with teams for months and months, stuff changes, direction shifts, for whatever reasons, market forces or trends or whatever might happen. So it's always having that open to a conversation between ourselves and the client that as it begins to shift, we need them to tell us, oh, this is changing now and this is why. So we can properly understand it to then get that into our work and make sure we're following the same path they are. So I think yeah, the only time it will break down is if those communications break down pretty much. And how do you find it, Anita, on your side with kind of a smaller team? Are you actually setting the vision yourself? Or are you working with like a design director or other direct creative directors? Well, for like the overall creative vision, obviously I work with the other uh, directors that I found a company with um, because we obviously initially set everything up together. We came up with the idea together, how that is in a startup, right? So uh, obviously we have specialists that know their audio. I'm not going to dictate them what they're going to do. Uh, and we have programmers and they know what they do best, game design, right? So when it comes to everything art, yes, that is all me all the time, which is very taxing, but very rewarding. And you actually get a lot of chances to be very hands-on with your artists. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's easier, but it's more work intense in places, at least from how I can gauge it. When it comes to outsourcing, you kind of have to say as when you have a AD and a sub AD, right? Because if they want art direction from us, then that's great. But most of the time they have their own art director. So I'm just enforcing their guidelines with our team. Yeah, I mean, having those clear pillars is one of the other things as well. If people can distill or the project owners what the idea is for the game, what's important and makes it unique and unique to that, that's what really helps to kind of rally the team behind. Because sometimes you don't have that benefit of that. And that's when it can create a lot of kind of opinions or people throwing the things in the mix. It's actually a thing. Uh, with Codev, I know with outsourcing, oftentimes you will have a problem that the client doesn't have a vision 
and you kind of have to find out what they actually want by just talking to them. Is that the same in CODEV or is that more organized? Um, depends on the clients, right? Like anything else that changes. Um, very often though, we meet a client, chat to them, figure out how they've set up their teams, who's in charge of which department and in what way, figure out what the vision is through all the different pitches and onboarding that happens. But after that, yeah, you can have discussion points with them to kind of solve it. So if they don't have their art direction, you can then look at like the look at the genre, the market positioning, comparative analysis with competitors and kind of see and help them guide them to what that vision might be. So there is always opportunities with Codev to do that also. But it depends on the client. Some clients come in with very solid vision, which is just great. And you're like, okay, it's brilliant. We understand it. We really like it. And as Luis was saying with his team, you then just grab it, own it and run with it and work within the confines of what that might be. And I find it's just great to have it sometimes because it's I often prefer having a strong art direction that's challenging me as a creative as opposed to nothing which leaves me floundering and having every option under the sky available to me and that actually I think is worse in the end. Very so, much agree. <laughs> to me the big job of the art director is very quickly just setting like this is the style, this is the genre, this is what we're doing. It might not be perfect, it might not be the right thing but we create this box now and then through the phases of production you explore and it will change and never, I've never seen a project in my 16 years begin with a pitch and an idea and somehow come out exactly the same at the end it just it never happens I mean if, if it has happened someone can correct me or send me something online to go look here's an example I'd love to see it um, but it's just a natural process of creation and evolution and iteration that it does shift and change for many many reasons but I think with the original question but having so many art directors involved and creatives it's just keeping that aligned and make sure that everyone's kind of singing from the same hymn sheet whether it's design directors game directors art directors that everyone they're all roughly heading in the same with the same tone and the same idea and it's also just like if you, if you get people it doesn't have to be just the stakeholders or other directors everyone you get absolutely everyone mm-hmm. you respect their opinions and you really communicate with transparency and you want to obviously there, there has to be a hierarchy this has to be someone making the call at the end of the day but um when people not really listen to and they can give their opinions it doesn't really matter if it's just an opinion it just stays there but as long as they are happy that they they give their opinion but at the end of the day what really matters is that those pillars that were set in regards to art are always looked after and you're always referring back to those pillars and saying that right is this what you've done talking to that art pillar and that pillar could be i don't know dramatic light is it dramatic enough no, it's not. All right. Well, excellent opinion that you've got, but it's not talking to the operator. And that is kind of like the way to sort of edit those comments, uh, or the way I've seen so far. It's a really good, uh, really good question to kick us off with, Anthony. So thank you very much for that and some uh, some brilliant input as well. So yeah, we'll move on to the next question, though. That's uh, going to come from an Anita. So Anita, over to you. Yeah. So uh, my last ties a bit into that, um, but it's more about what you actually do when in the thick of it. So... <laughs> You know, in pre-production, you sit down, you plan everything very neatly, and then you go into production, everything's to change, right? So what do you actually do and what tools do you use to give you and your team that time to replan, rethink, and actually manage the project to keep that on course or course correct while you're already working on it full force? Really good question. Uh, go on, Louise. Now I'm just trying to think. I didn't know if I don't need to or not, but since I'm at it, um, I think is um, it's an excellent question to be honest because nothing's set in stone and if it was how boring this world would be um, everything has to change everything has to, to evolve and become better or maybe not better go somewhere right and I think uh, dealing with those changes is quite important uh, but knowing how to deal with those changes 
in elegance is far more important. What I'm trying to say here is that um, as long as like there's that, and I'm, I'm finding myself repeating myself again, that over-communication with everyone in the team, especially with production, and they know the risks all in advance, then you kind of like avoid those um, um, mistakes as long as you're letting them chip in into the creation progress. Very often than not, I've seen people that believe that only because you're an artist means that no one else in the entire planet is creative. You can be very creative at writing. You could be very creative at coding. You can be very creative with whatever. And um, so uh, when it comes to when it comes to art, it's very important for them to understand what are the impacts that you are doing to the to the whole uh, timeline. And if they are able to chip in very early, they will understand their risks. And when they suggest these changes, it's always been in the back of that and the mind that, oh, they already know we're asking the question that's going to affect X or Y, Z. Fine, things have to happen, you know, things have to change, but at least that communication is in place. And when the changes come through, um, they'll understand a little bit of your pain and they work with you with the pain. So without having to say that, they just change it, see you later. Um, so it's about involvement. Uh, very often we speak about teams, but um, I've seen it throughout years of experience that uh, no many teams behave like teams. You know, says that you know it's not just the engineers here, it's not the uh, graphics engineers there, it's not the uh, tech out there. No, it's none of that. We all pushing towards you know the success of our product. So if we are doing that, why are not behaving like that? So it's it's a little bit of um, um behavioral change that has to happen for these things to, to modify. In regards to tools, we use um, um, uh, smart sheets a lot. We use obviously all the stuff that is out there. I love smart sheets because it's, it's quite graphical and it doesn't help my eyes like Excel does. Um, but that is kind of like the way it represents stuff in a way that I, I put all the risks, everything that has to be seen, and then I export out a dashboard and that dashboard is taken by production and they very clearly know on a daily basis where things are. So this is kind of like in link to what I was mentioning earlier um, when I was saying about that communication with transparency. It's not just presenting to the team, but it's also just putting out the outputs of what is it where you are. It's also just demonstrating, um, you know, what are the risks, where things are going to land. Everything has to be clear. And even even if the art, art director one day says, oh, I just want to I don't know, just want to flip it all backwards. Well, you can't, eh? Because, you know, it's the whole team that is pushing towards that direction. And obviously, that person is is um, is driving and he, he, he fought his nose. So then, from my um, um, experience, I think that's how, how you would deal with that sort of problem. Always with the mindset of like, oh, you know, you guys know it, there's always feedback. There's enough, there's, I mean, we, we can't really marry ourselves to our work. It's all. That's really good points, Louise. Thank you very much. Uh, Anthony, do you want to come in? Yep, I definitely second the uh, key production on board because they are your friends in that kind of situation. Um, so that work at D3T and obviously Coconut Lizard have a really good production team and the same as Louise said, it's constant communication and clarity and transparency and honesty with them. But for me, I'm going to come at this question two different sides because for me, yes, when things, when you're in the heat of it and you're in full production, full scale, momentum is full, and the team has to stop for whatever reason, whether it's a direction change or a production issues being hit or a problem. I'd honestly take the tact of don't be afraid to down tools. And I've used this in the past where what happens with teams at a certain moment is when all the panic starts to happen and everyone keeps asking everyone questions and that kind of tension starts to build, people start panicking. And sometimes like 
the previous experience of how this kind of happened is literally everyone just down tools right now. Everyone just stop making. Everyone stop the tasks they're doing. Let's all just get on a call and have a chat about it. Because by taking a little bit of time out to kind of reflect on what is the problem? How have we hit it? What can we do to fix it? What's the safest path out? Um, to figure out what this problem is tends to actually yield better results than lots of different conversations happening at different times. So even though it seems counterintuitive to say, entire team, stop, it actually can be beneficial just for one day to do that or two days, wherever it might be, to solve the core issue properly rather than knee-jerk panicking, which I've seen other people do at times. And that can lead to further problems or you kind of plaster over the issue and it comes back two months later. Um, but the kind of counterpoint to that issue is I wouldn't want to do that. It's not my choice, but you do it in that situation. But for me, as an art director, whenever I start a project or onboard on a project, my first thing every time is looking at, are the pipelines fit for scale and production? Do they yield the technical results we need to make it run in frame at the target frame rate and resolution? Does it hit the technical bar, visually, quality bar, for what is aspirational by the project as well? And it's making sure that in the early phases of production, you've done your due diligence with your kind of whatever you want to call it, beautiful corners, vertical slices, one of everything's. There's lots of names for this. But if you get that stuff right early on, you will mitigate a lot of problems later. And if the have the foundational elements in place, if the direction changes, if all of a sudden you have to build two new environments or you scrap one and you have to refactor it to something else, you're in a good place to do that because you know the foundation that was built is good. If you haven't done that and you race through pre-production just to get content in and make it look amazing and impress people with the scale of work you've done, but it's not all built to the technical spec as expected, you're just setting yourself up for having that problem later in production when you have to down tools and fix it, basically. Um, when that stuff's set up, though, I find most productions tend to run and it's usually just a deadline of how much polish and how much content you can get in is always the thing you're going to fight with during those phases. But yeah, the kind of crux of that is just take time out. Absolutely. If you need down tools, don't panic. It's probably the best thing to do. Thanks. Uh, I imagine that's also quite different than bigger productions because in indie timelines, I would say shift a lot more because there's funding changes. There's very often personal changes where one of your key people gets hired up by a AAA studio and you're like, what do I do now? I don't have programmers anymore. Um, so yeah, it's a lot more volatile and the only way I've really found uh, I can mitigate it is do your, as you said, really thorough jo job in pre-production, do your risk logs, do your SWOT analysis, do all of your contingency plans, it's like a long, long list, because at least then you have, already have a few steps to take uh, and you don't need to panic. <laughs> That's really good insight and it'd be interesting to try the indie at one point, see what it's like. But definitely, if you have all that place, and especially, I don't know how many people are on your team in terms of production or other people involved at the same level as yourself, but it's getting them involved also to make sure other departments are aware and getting help if needed from other departments. Because quite often, we have a really good, like strong leadership team that involves programmers, producers, artists, and designers. So even if you're stuck and it's not an art specific thing and it could be a developmental team thing there's always people you can go to and go actually I need help and advice and support and it's just reaching out to people yes. and not staying quiet about it as well because sometimes you might have an issue on the art team specifically and then you kind of panic and you're like oh I can't tell anyone because that'll be an issue it's like don't be afraid because most people are quite nice and receptive and helpful and hopefully the industry touch wood uh, everyone I've kind of come across have been great in that respect so yeah, reach out for help is definitely a thing that people should do more of and support each other. Definitely, but I think the uh, barrier to actually reaching out for help from different teams is much higher with what you work as because 
We don't have different teams. We have a team. And um, if you need help, you ask one other team. Uh, it only gets a bit more complicated if you need help from someone else, for example, freelancer, because they might not be available for like six days a week. So it's different. It's interesting hearing the comparisons between obviously a larger studio and an indie studio to hear how you deal with similar challenges, but on a very different level. Uh, and you know how how you both go about that in different aspects. So it, it's a part of this conversation that's quite li- looking forward to. Uh, has anybody else got anything else to add on that um, on Anita's question? Uh, well, Anthony was touching on something that was really interesting, and it's just that um, we say a lot when um, a stakeholder says something, and then person below just makes it bigger, and then makes it big, um, makes it bigger, and then just sort of something comes to the actual people that in on ground, and then it sort of is on a problem. So now taking that very same example to what you were saying, Anthony, is, is there is a problem and very often or not, it's simple just to go and talk to the person and then, you know, within minutes, perhaps just come up with a solution. Um, but um, because sometimes there, there might not be that communication or there might be sort of like fear of not putting the problem out there, then it becomes that that issue. And, and that is where the snowball just becomes huge. Um, so yeah, it's, Again, touching back on, on, on the initial subject, but uh, making sure that um, everyone is on board and the productions are the production uh, pro- producers are your best friends. Then, yeah. I suppose friends. to relate that to the the topic title of the art of art management, surely that's a, a a management tool or a strategy to make sure that people feel comfortable to be able to approach you know managers to that's a culture thing to be able to approach like well, accounting point. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I've seen it years in where people love tickets and then you just just there's a problem you love the ticket and then that ticket just goes to another team and then you just go to try a triage and then that triage goes to a producer a team of producers the producer to another producer and then that goes back to you or whatever and then you know don't be talking about that weeks isn't it simpler just to or just call a person or whatever and then mm. talk to them then just human being just like you and yeah, yeah. So, you, know, you say, you say that you've got to have yeah. that you say that, but you've got to have that element of that that environment. You've got to create that, haven't you? That level of trust and that culture for people to be able to do that. Obviously, it sounds simple, but when you're actually in the day to day, it's not always often that that is the case. And um, it comes down to management to set that environment up, I suppose. When you just mentioned that as well, um, one of the big issues usually we're approaching managers is that managers aren't approachable, right? Because I've done that a lot of stress, so they will snap at people, stuff like that has happened often enough. So one of the challenges as someone managing people is to make yourself look approachable as well, so that they feel comfortable talking to you. And one big part that I know is a really bad buzzword, it's like a no-blame culture, where if someone tells me, I fucked up, this entire thing needs to be done, then we figure out how to fix it. Like, keep it forward thinking, because especially in our profession, you get a lot of introverts, you get a lot of people that don't necessarily have the most comfortable in social situations to begin with, and then putting them into that situation will only end badly for the entire team. Yeah, that's quite right. I think one of my personal methods was years ago, I changed the way I I used to speak to say, we did this, always grew up there, and it doesn't matter. If I create an asset myself, I always say like, we did this. And that transformed into a team culture within my team where we all say, we did this, we achieved this. Even if that person is just doing optimization, that person will normally say, we did this and we've been experimenting with this. Or we found out that we made a mistake here. And that is sort of the sentiment of like, it's, you know, elevate you as a group rather than that individual. Obviously, everyone receives the credit that you to everyone. 
but creates that level of being approachable. That is, it's not just one person sort of like up there directing and you do this, you do this or don't do that. No, it's quite, quite the opposite. Like I said, everyone is listening to you. Everyone's on the same level. There is a, a hierarchy. Of course there is. There's someone calling the shots. Has to be. But at least it's that feeling of like being listened to and being really part of, um, yeah, being part of a team. It sounds, sounds cliche, but that's what it is. <laughs> no, sir. Look, I just got to kind of piggyback onto that one about kind of fostering that kind of culture with the art team and stuff that we've been doing like at the studio at now at D3T over the last couple of years. As the team has grown from like 12-ish people up to about 40 now, it was quite difficult during like COVID, remote working, you're expanding a team and it's trying to keep that kind of culture and that kind of no blame atmosphere, honesty, transparency and some of the kind of strategies we've put in place is we have a kind of like internal checklist for art. So when artists actually produce art, they'll have a checklist of like okay i need to have this done at this stage this at this stage like block out white box color box whatever it may be so they have a clear guide of what they need to do and then they will get uh, peer reviews from themselves and then my work included goes into like a peer review pool so anyone can review my work so you can have like associate artists or graduates or seniors everyone can have a look and go oh you, you missed this or this is a problem because hey art vectors make mistakes too that's a dirty secret for everyone we're not infallible um, and it's having that kind of situation where yeah I will accidentally make a mistake and go oops sorry okay me too and it's creating that culture for the team where they'll feed back on my work I'll feed back on theirs we're all using a consistent manner to feed back as well so we have not necessarily a sheet or a format but there's like with that checklist everyone kind of objectively knows what they need to hit and do for a project and then there's the subjective stuff like oh there should be more contextual where here when you get down to the subjective stuff it's less of an issue and people are very open about it I find and sometimes if they do have any issues with the work, it can be the objective stuff like, oh, you didn't sort light maps out or you're missing collision or it's always something silly. Your texture size is too big. And by creating this kind of atmosphere where we do peer reviews, then do the formal review, then it goes to the client. Everyone has that kind of sense of ownership and they know they can just say what they want and feedback. I think that's helping. It's not the only way to do this, but engaging the team in that manner hopefully helps promote a bit of communication, especially for the introverts or people who might be newer in the company and be a bit afraid. Like, oh, I don't want to show my stuff to the lead or the senior or someone else. You're doing it openly in an open forum in front of everybody, which doesn't hide any of it. It's everyone can see everyone's feedback and learn from each other's feedback as well, which helps. It's another area why I don't uh, envy both of you because that's much harder when you work for a bigger company or even a more prestigious company. Because people will have like that sense of awe when they first join as well. It's like, wow, I'm part of the big leagues now. Um, and they will be hesitant to do that kind of stuff and great show. For me, if I have a mistake in my art, I'm lucky if it isn't like point out with a meme instead. <laughs> um, Love it. But yeah, <laughs> there's literal memes in the Unlegend documentation now because no one was reading the documentation. So I added some memes and now people are actually rating it. So. Uh, that's that's an excellent tip I'm going to steal that <laughs> well thank you Anita it was a really uh, really good second question as well hi everyone this is Chris Bennett here and Nordic's managing director here at Evolution I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far we're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Final question, which will come from Louise. So over to you. Right. So uh, it's quite a funny one because we've been kind of like touching on it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So answers. Um, but uh, what strategies did you do to give yourself and your team enough time to think and plan during the uh, busy production times? And I'm only asking this question is because I've worked in a way for years that um, it wasn't allowing me to do this. We were planning and planning is completely different to thinking. And uh, about six years ago, I went to this conference in Barcelona, which by the way, I just came back from one of them. And I had a, this um, art director from uh, Arman Animations, Kevin Strange, absolutely amazing guy. And what he does is he does everything. And don't know how this man just fits everything into his day. And one of that was one of the questions. And he was like, well, you know, I'm not a producer, but I have to schedule myself to do stuff. If, I, if it's not on my schedule, then it doesn't happen. And that just kept me thinking that um, not really allowing ourselves to think. And that's probably why... Um, which is at the end comes to the end. Stakeholders are not bought into the idea. Things change and all that. But well, I have um, planned throughout um, anything that, that we deliver is just thinking. And thinking is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't think, then you can't really plan. And uh, and that is where that people are like, you know, just think of how are you going to do it? Are you thinking on the engineers? How are you going to optimize this? And it, all that comes uh, from uh, the aspect of doing all that exercise before you even put the first poly. So it's not even planning, it's just pure thinking. In my personal life, for example, I wake up every morning and then I assign myself from 9 to 9.30 to purely think, sometimes to 10 actually, but nine half an hour just of thinking, what is it that I'm doing? How am I going to answer this? And then I come up with an amazing idea, some of them are really crap. But that's not the point. The point is that I'm, I'm allowing myself that time. Um, so yeah, how do you do that? Did you give yourself that? Is it just me just talking here? here? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that you were just saying it now, it's something I've been doing more. So with me on the codev side, what I found over the last couple of years was we had, when I started at the studio, there was one main project and I was kind of art director of that main project. It was very clear. There was a team. There was myself. There was the goal of release. We did it. But since then, we've been working with a co-development fashion across like five projects at any one time. So we have 40 artists spread across five projects. So then I have to be a day on each project, seeing how it's all tracking, where it's all at, where the issues are, what we can do to unblock it, what we can do to support the staff, push a bit harder, be quicker, better, whatever it might be. And I found myself over the last few months getting very overwhelmed by having so many things all at once. And one of my strategies, exactly what you said, was I ended up taking a bit of time out every morning and go, right, I'm not even going to begin the day until I sit down, think about what's the most important thing to do today, who needs my support and help today more than another person on the team. And it's like prioritizing it in a very sensible, clear headspace scenario. And even last week, I've taken it a step further by setting up my own Trello board at work. So I have a kind of private Trello board just for me with all the things that I need to do in terms of running the studio as a whole, in terms of team development and process development, more kind of granular project-based stuff but taking the couple of hours out last Friday I think I did it in the afternoon to kind of sort out this Trello board and get everything I need to do onto it I found has let me be a lot more efficient this week because then you have moments and you might not experience this if you're not across five projects but when you're across so many projects 
you'd do everything you need to on one and then you'd stop for a second and then you don't even know where to begin with the other four and you have to kind of have a bit of a plan of action there into what the next steps are so i kind of envy people one project that sometimes it's a that clarity is nice but I, i also quite like the kind of dynamism and variety of having multiple projects and you learn so much with all these different processes and approaches to different ways to develop as well which is good but definitely taking time out and having that clear headspace to formulate your plan of action but then get onto a shallow board or somewhere Miro whatever you want to use getting it somewhere tangible where you can actually look at it and bring the tickets across to show it was done and you know what you've done and how long it took you to do it I find that really useful as a tool to kind of keep my time efficient and I'm not losing time thinking about next steps on the moment you have a kind of preordained when you begin honestly you must have um for that level you know with that amount of stuff on and, and keeping that busy you must have a good routine in place i think with anything like this with like keeping busy with all sorts of stuff routine and consistency is what makes it easier so yeah i think it's my calendar helps because basically you have the e-meetings for each project throughout the week so on certain days, we have leads meetings for each one. We'd have the morning stand-ups for each one, which I'll attend one a week. And um, then I have catch-ups with the lead team, whether it's leads or seniors, on each project as well. So that creates that kind of routine cadence for mm-hmm. me. But in between that, I need to kind of keep an eye on the milestones, the targets, what we need to be achieving as a team together, and making sure that everyone has what they need. And it just varies day to day, and that's where I end up getting very busy because it's the unknown is what always gets you where an artist might be struggling with something one day or a project might be struggling in terms of tools or but there are many different ways it can get busy um, or performance issues or bugs or whatever. Um, and it's being able to kind of make sure my calendar has empty gaps in it as well. So if something does come up, I can jump on it straight away. So it's, you say routine, but it can get chaotic and a bit mad, <laughs> which is good too, which I like. I mean, I quite like that in the industry, but not too much. I guess it's like, it's like, like, you know, I go into a gym really or whatever other activity like it's kind of like have to build that habit build that habit and it, you know you know that on this day at this time you're going to be doing that and then you know once it becomes a habit it's just like oh, like what's the next challenge and just to quote um this this lady that um her name is nancy Payne, one of my uh, idols out there um because it just has some really awesome stuff but one of her phrases is the quality of everything we do depends on the quality of the thinking we do first that's kind of it um but yeah anita how do you feel about this whole thinking thing well um uh, i kind of had a very similar situation that you described with having multiple projects anthony um at first when i had to take over production as well and i had suddenly had art director tasks and production tasks and everyone was tearing at me from all sides constantly and didn't yes. get any of my own tasks done because it was constantly answering other people's requests. So in the beginning, the thing I did is just get up two hours before the Americans. Uh, that fixed it mostly in the beginning. Uh, now what I do is, because I also organize our daily stand-ups, before I do the stand-up, I organize myself and then I organize the stand-up and I have the stand-up and I can actually start working. And the only way I actually get stuff done is to dedicate quiet hours. So there's only certain times in which people are allowed to book meetings and outside of that, I'm just not going to respond to a request because otherwise I'm never going to get any of my tasks done uh, and be constantly torn between everything. Because as you said, it's really hard to focus on one thing if you keep being interrupted constantly by other things. Anita, how um, how strict are you with that? You know, like, how, how well do you keep yourself committed to doing that? You know, when you say, like, I'm not going to reply to messages during this time, 
and then you know did it say if you are committed to doing that and you do very well with it did it take a while to build that up because i know we've done a lot of training when i first joined this is obviously to do with recruitment nothing to do with that management around different like time quadrants and where you spend time and q1 being very active to like slack mm. messages coming in or i must reply to this because it's urgent really it's not as urgent as you think and you actually can do that development time but it took me a long time to sort of develop that uh, and learn that process or so how how how's that for you so uh this is what do not disturb was invented for and it's the only way i managed to do it um because if something pops up in peripheral vision you're already gonna respond to it so i just turn that off completely uh so people can't even see if i'm online because then they don't have the oh she's online i've got to quickly reach out to the mentality that helps a lot and what also helps is training people on your team to expect that because in the beginning they will try and reach out constantly even if you inform them that you're not going to be available during this time they will forget because we all forget we all do our own thing but over time that kind of starts working and now unless the server's on fire no one's going to reach out to me it also helps with half an hour sleep during the time that i am not available that is like the hardcore mode to solve that solution. <laughs> it's not an issue. But it is true, you have to kind of do that and take that time out to get on top of tasks. But I often find the conflict of being there for the team, there for the clients. But as you said, educating the team to make them be kind of more self-sufficient, independent, leaning on each other. Because obviously for us, we're lucky enough to have a slightly bigger team. So the team can help themselves between yes. the seniors and leads and everyone else as opposed to always having to go straight to me or straight to someone else in production. 99% of the time they can solve with themselves. It's just easier to reach out first. Don't tell them he said this. <laughs> <laughs> there is this There is this thing that um, uh, I tend to use, but well, I don't know. I, I, I'm quite straight with that stuff. Like, you know, it comes to Friday, if someone says, sends, I don't care, sorry, mate, it's until Monday, it's, this is shut. Uh, but in regards to like um, organizing what is important and what is not, I use... Uh, this uh, the eight and eight and hour matrix thing. I don't know if you guys are aware, aware of that. Where you think of like uh, four quadrants uh, on the top left, you have like what is um, important and urgent. Yeah. Next to it is one less urgent and important. Then follow up is uh, less important but urgent. And then on the on the extra one, you've got like you know things that doesn't really matter. Someone else can take. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I I. I tend to have a mirror board where on a daily basis, and this is open for everyone to see what I'm doing. It was like, these are my priorities. And you commonly talk to me in San Luis and when I need to tackle this, I'm like, all right, yeah, we need to tackle this. And then I put it on, a, on, a, on, on the mirror board and you can see where, where in priorities is your comment. It will be, it will be tackled, but you know, not important or not important in my priorities, then, you know, you have to deal with it and then join the queue and um, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that's that's the that's the best way to allow people to see that there are bigger problems. Obviously, when you someone brings a problem, it's bigger for them. But that doesn't mean that in the grand scheme of things, it's as big as they would mind. Or maybe it is. At which point, you know, you sort of like jump. But yeah, when when it comes to like the end of the week, sorry, close close the shutters. It's important okay. to have that balance. It's interesting that you say that. That's the quadrant that we've done. Like I mentioned, we have done a lot of training on in here. We do it a lot when new people join the company because our company is big on that and where you spend a lot of your time. Um, but interesting that you're very transparent with that, you know, to, towards the rest of the team as well, that they can actually see the, the quadrants as, as to what you prioritised. I think that's quite interesting so people can see that it's there, see that it is relevant and, like you say, will get tackled, but you're looking as to where it is a priority for you at the, in the time because I suppose that, you know, solves the problem of, like, 
people keep messaging and messaging saying like you know when's it when's it going to happen they can see you know where you've got and the other priorities you've got so that's a really interesting way of dealing with that i use a similar version of this because it makes the most sense i just learned a different name because i initially learned all of my project management skills in german <laughs> <laughs> so um but i use a different um category instead of important because as you said before important is relative to the person who brings the task to you so what i tend to use is purposeful so is it on my task list is the most purposeful does nice get the most progress um semantics are important yes. thank you so much that's awesome i'm actually going to use that <laughs> so i use that instead and uh it's also a really good way of tackling tasks to actually delegate because you end up with tasks in a quadrant that you can't tackle and they're not that important or don't require your skill set and then you can mm. you immediately know which ones you can hand to someone else mm, yeah really good point well um fantastic question Luis, as well so hopefully well you got something there from anita hopefully everyone um you know has got a couple of little hints and tricks there or anyone listening has taken some value out of that um, but yeah, that concludes the podcast. Obviously, that was the third question. So uh, I'll take this opportunity to to thank Anita, Anthony and Luis for all of your questions and your contributions. Hopefully, like I said, people who are listening into this have gained something from it. Um, so thank you for all your input. And if anybody else wants to join the Evolution Exchange podcast, please feel free to send me a message. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys.